Okay, good morning everyone. I think we'll get started just to maximize our time with our terrific speaker. Thank you very much for being here on this lovely August morning, almost fall-like, hard to believe. Uh, I'm Clark Irvin and I have the great pleasure of, our, of introducing our speaker this morning, the Right Reverend Dr. Richard Cheatham, the Bishop of Kingston in the southwest of London. Bishop Cheatham has been the Bishop of Kingston for 20 years now and he tells me that he'll be stepping down soon. Uh, the bishop has long had a particular interest in drawing on the rich resources of Christian theology and the Anglican tradition to explore the fascinating relationship between religion and science. He is, for example, the co-director of the Templeton-funded project Equipping Christian Leadership in an Age of Science, and he is also a commissioner of the Anglican Communion Science Commission. He focuses on theological issues raised by environmental change and the challenges of living together harmoniously in a world of differing religion, religious and secular perspectives. As we were just discussing, he studied physics and philosophy at Oxford. He taught physics, interestingly, for five years, I think it was Bishop. He holds a PhD from King's College London, uh, at which he is now an honorary research fellow. And he is a professorial fellow in Christian theology and contemporary issues at the University of Roehampton. And he's just come back from the Lambeth Conference and he'll share some insights about that as well. So with that, thank you for being here and over to you, Bishop Chief. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you very much, Clark, for that uh, very kind introduction. I'm very grateful to you uh, and also to the Rector Rob for the kind invitation to come and speak here. Uh, it's a real privilege to be able to do that. Uh, and thank you to all of you for coming uh, on a beautiful morning when I understand in the middle of August a lot of people are away uh, on vacation in Washington. So it's uh, very good that you're all here. Uh, I'm going to speak uh, for about half an hour and then we'll have a few minutes for questions at the end uh, on the subject of uh, science and faith. Uh, First of all, I just wanted to commend you for the whole forum idea, because it does seem to me that in the 21st century, it's absolutely essential that we have uh, a thoughtful Christian faith, which engages in the many deep currents that are flowing around in our world. So we're going to have uh, one particular uh, uh, angle on it today. And you're going to hear a little bit about the science-faith interaction, partly through my own story and background, partly through the work of equipping Christian leadership in an age of science, which I've been involved in uh, for nearly 10 years now. Uh, and it's very good to have my colleague Lucas Mix here as well uh, in the, uh, in the uh, audience. And a little bit about the Anglican Communion Science Commission and the Lambeth uh, Conference. Science and faith is certainly very topical at the moment. You could hardly avoid it uh, during the pandemic. Uh, the mantra, follow the science, uh, was certainly very prevalent in the UK and probably was here too. Uh, we're also very aware of the huge importance of science in perhaps the biggest issue facing all of us, that of climate change and the climate science uh, that is behind that. Uh, there are also, as we know, uh, many different uh, understandings of the relationship between science and faith. And many of them um, have a real caricature. And I've got a little clip now from uh, a comedian called Eddie Izzard. I don't know whether you've come across him before. 
uh, but that introduces some of the caricatures that are around. And one of the things um, I'm going to be talking about is the, the way in which the uh, conflict narrative still has quite a lot of purchase. And certainly talking to uh, American colleagues and American uh, bishops here uh, in, at the Lambeth Conference, it's, it's very clear that that's very powerful. And there's a really distorted view of science and faith around, it seems, in lots of ways. And one of the things I think which is really important is to have establish a really good understanding of the nature of science and a really good understanding of the nature of Christian faith. And I do believe that it's very important uh, to do that. Okay, well, I hope you caught enough of that, those of you with very good hearing, uh, to realise that uh, through that comedy routine, and you can find loads of them, uh, certainly in a UK context, and you can probably find them in a US context, where comedians deliberately, they caricature both the nature of science and also the nature of Christian faith. And some of the routines are very funny, and they have an impact. They begin to spread and form an opinion. And you'll find lots and lots of things by that. But I do believe it's absolutely vital to have a good understanding of the relationship between science and faith for at least two reasons. Uh, firstly, for apologetic reasons, for understanding and defending and arguing for Christian belief in a world which is deeply secularised, where many, many people are very sceptical about the very idea of God and how that can be credible in a world where science has so permeated our lives. So there are apologetic reasons for engaging. But there are also a lot of very practical reasons. Science has hugely shaped uh, the way we live and our world. And the latest development, for example, is the whole business of the development of vaccines at such an extraordinary speed which has affected us. So it's certainly absolutely important and it's also possible to uh, engage with these things. Uh, when I was uh, going around yesterday, I found um, in the uh, Museum of American History, uh, there is a, a little gallery called Discovery and Revelation, Religion, Science and Making Sense of Things. And in that gallery, the introduction reads as follows. Though often overlooked, one of the most significant factors in the development of spiritual tradition has been the interaction of religious ideas and communities with the, with the scientific and technological advances that have shaped every generation. Discovery and Revelation, that's the exhibition, explores the dynamic interplay of religion, science and technology in human history, as seen through three centuries of mutual interaction from the Puritans to the digital age. Religious and scientific ideas have challenged and changed each other in surprising ways throughout our history, 
exploring their intersection, provides a view of Americans as spiritually seeking, scientifically experimenting, and endlessly curious people. That's what's down there in that gallery, for those of you who've seen it. I have to say, as an aside, I was quite amused by the ambiguity of the final phrase describing Americans as endlessly curious people. You might apply that to British people, but uh, it was wonderfully ambiguous. But it just shows this real interest in these things and getting a, a good uh, understanding. And the work that I've done with uh, Equipping Christian Leadership in an Age of Science, ECLAS, has worked very hard to produce good materials. Now, in my teenage years, I started going to church when I was uh, aged 11. My family moved house at the time, uh, and the only reason I went was there was a youth club there and to get involved. And I found as I went through my school years and was learning more and more about Christian faith, but also specialising more and more in science, a very obvious question was, well, how do these two different understandings of reality actually interact? And as a teenager, I can remember thinking, well, as I was thinking about life, the universe, and everything, as you do when you're a teenager, thinking either you need to be a thoroughgoing materialist. In other words, all there is in the universe is stuff, matter, atoms, molecules. We are rather complicated arrangements of that stuff, but in the end, there's no ultimate meaning or purpose other than that which humankind creates for itself. And if you are not satisfied with that as an explanation of your understanding of the world, you have to have some kind of theism. There's a deeper reality behind it all. Well, that was where uh, I came uh, as a teenager. And hopefully this is going to move on. Oh. Does it see if we can do it make it work from here? This seems determined not to work. We'll send her back. Um, what's going to come up next is two, an image of two books, um, which are uh, were quite influential on me. Uh, the first of them in my teenage years. Uh, one of the books I read was by Charles Coulson, and it was produced, uh, written in 1955, which happened to be the year in which I was born. Thank you. So does that now work? Right, can I just try this once more? So that, oh yeah. Right, that looks like we're working. Thank you. Uh, the book by Charles Coulson on the left, written in 1955, uh, Science and Christian Belief. Charles Coulson was a professor of applied mathematics at Oxford and was also a Methodist. And in that book, he gave a very good account of both the nature of science and also the nature of faith. And he spoke about building up a 3D view of reality by what he called an act of reflection to, in order to bring those two together. And I certainly found that very helpful, uh, and I think it's still got a lot to say today. There are many, many other really good uh, books and literature that's been produced. Uh, one of them uh, by my colleague in ECLAS, uh, Professor Tom McLeish, produced much more recently, Faith and Wisdom in Science. So there's loads and loads of very good stuff around.
Uh, as you've heard in the introduction, uh, I studied physics and philosophy at university to try to get a bit deeper into this stuff and spent a few years uh, as uh, a physics teacher before uh, eventually ending up in ministry. I'm going to fast forward now to my ministry as a bishop, which I've had since 2002. And I believe that the science-faith interaction is absolutely central to my ministry as a bishop. And partly because of the role of the bishop as a teacher of the faith. In other words, engaging in the world, the context, the society in which we are to talk about Christian faith. Hooray, it's working. One of the phrases that's come to mean a lot to me over the years is the one at the top, proclaiming the, fr the gospel afresh in each generation. I'm not sure if it's used here in the Episcopal Church, but every time someone's either ordained or goes to a new ministry, uh, they'll hear that little phrase the importance of part of your task is to proclaim the gospel afresh into each generation. And I've always rather liked it because it speaks of both the givenness of the gospel, we can't just make it up in our own image, but also the need to relate it to every context in which we find ourselves. And that was true right from the beginning. We've got an image here of Paul in Athens in the Areopagus trying to explain to completely bemused Greeks about this new Christian faith. There was a huge apologetic task to do. And that has remained true right throughout Christian history. And our task today, there's an image of Richard Dawkins, uh, the famous uh, scientist who sp spoke a lot about the new atheist movement. Uh, we have that task to do today. There's a real apologetic task to do. But also, there is all the practical implications of science and the way it shaped our lives. Uh, you've got up there an image of the James Webb Telescope, launched on the last Christmas Day, producing some more wonderful images of the amazing universe that we live in. And of course, that shaped how we see the place of humankind in this vast universe. But also, uh, in medicine, uh, the coronavirus and so on. And put simply, right since the first technological inventions, and there we've got a few uh, Stone Age axes, the products of science can be used either for good, uh, you can use your axe to uh, prop, uh, chop your meat up, uh, or you could use it to kill someone. So we have to think about the ethical, the theological, the spiritual framework in which the results of science are actually found. So those are two very good reasons, the apologetic and the practical. Ten years ago, I was privileged to have a sabbatical at uh, the Church Divinity School of the Pacific in Berkeley in California. And I went there, having been a bit busy bishoping and had not too much time to think in some ways, I thought, well, I'll go and try and get myself up to date with the science and religion stuff. And I went to study at the Centre for Theology and Natural Sciences under Professor Bob Russell. And it was very, very good. But what I came back with was something rather different, and it was this. That the really important challenge for someone like me, and indeed for the church, is how we are to get all the really very good material about the relationship between science and faith embedded in the churches much more systemically. So a lot of these caricatures don't hold the center ground. How do we communicate it all? 
And at that stage, I fell into the then pilot uh, uh, stages of equipping Christian leadership in an age of science, which aimed to do just that, to uh, get this, this material much more deeply embedded in our churches. Now, I'm not going to dare try to say this clip, so we'll go straight on to this one. Um, one of my predecessors as Bishop of Kingston was Bishop Hugh Montefiore, who some of you may have heard of. And he wrote many years ago a book called Credible Christianity and the importance of the apologetic task. And really, we're in that uh, line. So let's go on to why, how science and faith can interact and uh, an understanding of it. There's a famous quote, uh, allegedly from Benjamin Disraeli, but there's a bit of doubt about where it might have come from, uh, called There Are Lies, There Are Damn Lies, and There Are Statistics. And it was about the use of statistics in political argument. And it applies quite well to the science-faith interaction about the misunderstandings that are around. So we're going to look uh, briefly about what the issue is, a little bit more deeply, uh, why it matters to us, uh, and what we can do about it. And that's roughly where we're going. So first of all, uh, what's the problem? Well, here's a, a tweet from some years ago now from Ricky Gervais. And it was about the time when uh, someone rather unwisely probably jumped out of a balloon, uh, out of a balloon enormously high in space and eventually landed safely uh, on the Earth. An amazing technical feat. I always think about what his mum must have thought as he jumped out, but anyway. Um, but at the same time, the young Pakistani girl, Malala Yousafzai, was shot in the head uh, in, in Pakistan. Um, and here we have the way in which that's been portrayed in this tweet. These things have an impact on the wider culture. So that's one example. Here's another. Some of you may have read um, some of the uh, books uh, like The Da Vinci Code, and here are some quotes from those books, and the hero, the professor, says things like this. Since the beginning of history, a deep rift has, has existed between science and religion, and so on. So again, that's in a lot of popular books, you find these kind of caricatures. Um, so typically, science and religion, it's very often portrayed in conflict terms. Whether it's Galileo and the Inquisition, uh, whether it's the great debate over evolution uh, between Bishop Wilberforce and um, uh, Huxley, uh, whether it's the Scopes monkey trial, or whether it's the new atheist, this is a very typical portrayal of the relationship between science and religion. If you watch science documentaries, I don't know what it's like in this country, but um, in the UK, a lot of them, what you've got to watch for is the way they're framed, how they're introduced. And to give an example, I'm, I'm, and I'm only caricaturing slightly on this, the introduction was, and it was on cosmology, for thousands of years, humankind have looked up in the sky and wondered about these wonderful patterns that are above us and our place in the universe. And all they had to guide them was all these myths and stories of religion. Now we've got the proper stuff, some cosmology and off we go into the program. And that's the way it's framed. So you'll see it reinforced in that kind of situation. So very typically, the relationship is, and there's quite a lot on this slide, and I'm going to go through it fairly quickly, because you get 
uh, the idea pretty much from the first one. Science is a truly modern form of knowing, while theology represents a pre-modern throwback. And all that stuff then uh, follows on. And as well as in wider culture that we get this, we also see it uh, in education as well. Now, this is an example from the United States about a real concern that young people are growing up with a view that science and religion don't mix. There's a lot of evidence in the UK to show that young people are imbibing a conflict narrative. It's not deliberately taught, but nevertheless, if you do surveys, that's what they've got quite deep in them. And you need to do work to uh, undo all of that. Then again, it's relevant in our churches. Here's a few questions you might want to think about um, in terms of the relationship between science and religion. If you were praying during the pandemic for someone who was sick, there's a real question about how we understand the action of God in a world where we know so much about the way in which viruses work, the way in which the medicines work, and so forth. There are other questions about our understanding of what it means to be human in the light of evolution. There are loads and loads of questions which the science takes us right to the heart of primary theological questions about how we understand the world. If we don't think about those things, and there's lots of very good material that can help us to do that very well, we can find it quite acidic on our confidence in our Christian faith. So it's very important that these things are taught and taught well uh, in our churches. So it's pretty important, uh, I think, to have uh, a good understanding of the nature of science. Because the caricature of science says, oh yes, it just gives us all this certain knowledge and, and off we go. It's much more secure. Science is always provisional. And we need a good understanding of the nature of scientific method. I'm not going to go into that at length because time forbids, but you need, we need to understand what science can tell us about the world, and it is an enormously fruitful way of exploring reality. But it only tells us certain things because of the way science actually works. And it's very important that we don't fall into uh, either what's sometimes called scientism. In other words, science answers all the real questions and is the only route to proper knowledge. Or we fall into reductionism, that the ultimate explanation really is in, for example, the neuroscience or whatever of all these things. There are lots of things. We need to understand something about the nature of science. But also about the nature of faith. Faith is not simply uh, a mindless acceptance of something. It's a much more profound understanding of reality than that. And this cartoon from Peanuts um, plays into the thought that, well, to do theology, you really have to take your brain out and believe six impossible things before breakfast. Now, that's a real caricature of faith. Here's a better understanding from a book by Marcus Borg. Uh, faith, of course, involves assent. It involves our thinking, our rational minds, to understand the world in which we live. That's a very important part of faith, but it's not the only thing in Christian faith. We also need what he calls uh, fiducia, that is faithfulness to God. It involves 
uh, fidelitas, um, which involves, sorry, fiducia, a trust in God, fidelitas, a faithfulness to God, and visio, a whole way of seeing life and reality in the light of God's love, which embraces science, but goes far beyond it in many ways, and that visio, and it goes right back to those early years that if you're not happy with of mine, if you're not happy with that idea of the only meaning is that which we make up, the Christian understanding tells us that the heart of reality is the God whose nature is love. And we see all things in the light of that. So it's a whole way of seeing. Uh, Ian Barber produced a famous typology about the relationship between science and faith. Uh, one view, they're just in conflict. End of story. Another view, they're just different ways of thinking. No point in them talking to each other. They're completely different. Another view, well, they do need to talk to each other, but we're not quite sure uh, where they'll get to. They may be fisticuffs at some points. Uh, there may be some points of agreement. And then a last one, in some ways, they can really speak to other, each other and we can produce a, a consensus and an integration. Now, I think we probably need all four bits of that for a really good understanding. There are, there are various other typologies that have been produced by different scholars. Typologies always tend to simplify things, but they do help us on in our thinking. And I think we need bits of all of it. So to give an example, if, um, if you want to think about what it means to be human, then, uh, of course, a uh, good idea to have a bit of neuroscience sitting in there, a bit of psychology, uh, even a bit of cosmology, and so forth. But I would say that will probably leave most of us with a rather thin understanding. We also need poetry and great art and great music and literature that help us understand in a deeper way. And also, we need, I would say, our theology and our spiritual understanding of what it means to be human. We need multiple perspectives actually talking to each other uh, in this way. In some ways, both religion uh, and science can be seen as both truth-seeking uh, and sense-making in the world. So it's that kind of understanding that I think we need. So just to finish, draw to a finish, uh, I want to uh, speak briefly about some of the resources that are available to help us to do this and to get a better uh, understanding. Uh, here's a screenshot of the team we've got from Equipping Christian Leadership uh, in an Age of Science, which we've been running uh, for nearly 10 years now. Uh, we've got some uh, wonderfully able people in this team, uh, some very, very good uh, young uh, researchers uh, uh, and people who are, have got very strong academic uh, backgrounds. The whole aim of it is to produce culture change within the church so that these, this way of thinking uh, becomes much more deeply embedded in what we do. And here's a diagram which shows something about the strategic uh, way in which we've done this. We've had a large number of conferences with world-leading scientists in conversation with bishops and other senior church leaders. The scientists are wide open for these conversations. They know they're dealing with big, big issues that go far beyond the science. Those have been very, very fruitful over many years. Uh, we're also doing research, original research, into the attitudes of senior church leaders, what's out there in the churches, and some of the narratives in wider society uh, about the nature of science and religion. 
Uh, we've equipped people to speak into the public square on complex issues. We've provided a lot of theological resources for seminaries to try to shape a new generation of ministers and also provided awards for local congregations to do imaginative projects. And there have been loads and loads and loads of very good ones. So it's very much a strategic effort to get this much more deeply embedded. Uh, we have a link here with the US, and uh, Lucas, who's here in the uh, uh, audience today, uh, will be talking with some of the Science for Seminaries program, which is run out of the American Academy for the Advancement of Science here in Washington. And we've got uh, some conversations with them uh, next week. Uh, the next phase, I think, is going to be extremely interesting. The Anglican Communion has just set up a new science commission in order to try to encourage this. And if I can read you a short sentence from the uh, Lambeth Call, which has just been produced at the recent Lambeth Conference, it says this. Uh, the bishops assembled at the Lambeth Conference invite every church of the Anglican Communion to recognise within science God-given resources for the life of faith and to offer the wisdom of faith to the work of science. And so that's uh, very much there. And so we're looking for doing this kind of work, not only in the UK, but in different places around the world. So to draw to a finish, I have certainly found in my own experience that the understandings which science brings to us only increase and deepen my understanding of God, of the gospel of God's love for us in this remarkable universe in which we find ourselves. And when we do that, when we engage in that kind of conversation, then our understanding of God grows and grows and grows. And we begin to see our Christian faith in God's love, not just in terms of an individual's relationship with God, but the relationship of our planet, our cosmos, the whole of reality within God's love. And our gospel just grows and grows. We really do need the book of nature and the book of scripture uh, to interact. So that's certainly been my experience. But uh, what matters after this, I think, is your questions and thoughts. And so, and the way in which all this material uh, has shaped uh, your own life and understanding of the world and reality. And how we might begin to deepen that. Thank you. We have one right at the back, yeah. Yes, thank you. Um, I appreciate how you share some information about how children are taught, sort of, in between. They perceive these tensions that maybe you are expressing, but um, that there is this like cultural friction in the United States between religion and concepts like evolution. Um, clearly, I have a vested interest in digging through these topics um, at the moment. So I was wondering if there's any resources that you could share um, that have talked about or Yeah, yeah. So you just paraphrase that for me. Yeah, um, it, it, it's about materials for helping uh, young people and children in particular 
as they grow, correct me if I've got this wrong, um, into a good understanding, given how many caricatures there are out there. That was reflected in the book by Ted Peters, the quote from uh, this context. Uh, and I'm aware, of course, um, the context here and what can and can't be taught in schools uh, is uh, quite complex um, and in a way makes it more difficult compared with the UK. One of the things which has been developed, which I'm involved in in the UK, has been a very interesting project called Big Questions in the Classroom. And it's an attempt to try to create uh, within the school space more interdisciplinary conversations on some of the big questions. So when you're teaching your uh, evolution, for example, you don't just do the science. You do a little bit about some of the ethics, the religious controversies, and you actually create space within the school curriculum to do that. And some very good material has been produced by about nine different organisations in order to do that. And some of that's actually being piloted in some of our uh, church schools in England. Now, I know that's not as easy to do in the States, to say the least. Um, you might end up in court. Um, but uh, the material, I see no reason why churches shouldn't uh, take some of the ideas and the way those conversations are framed and use them within the framework of the churches because, and the young people who actually go to church. So there is very good material around. Uh, you may not be able to influence the school system in quite the same way, uh, but there is certainly a lot of very good material around. Okay. Yeah, Lucas. Um, just to add a couple of things to that. One, uh, people tend to frame this as an information question, and often it is a very personal question. There are scientists in your congregation, and having them talk about their faith is usually more effective than, than presenting a, a textbook. Uh, I can also recommend if you go to ECLAS Project, just E-C-L-A-S Project.org, we have a number of short videos um, that are really cool, and AAAS Dozer, uh, they also have a number of great videos. Yeah, thank you, Lucas, yes. And we've got, uh, there are some little leaflets on the front if anyone wants to take those, which direct you to some of those uh, resources which are there. One of the very good things that's been produced, uh, done in uh, England in some of our churches is having a little slot on Sunday morning uh, called This Time Tomorrow. And you get a member of the congregation saying, this is what I'm going to be doing this time tomorrow. And one or two reflections about how their Christian faith shapes their daily work and life. And included in that, of course, are scientists. Because we've had lots of stories about how uh, scientists who are Christians find it difficult to talk about their faith in their laboratory or their science setting and when they're in the church they don't have much space to talk about their science. So creating those spaces can be a creative thing to do and I can't believe you don't have some scientists uh, in a church like St John's who would be more than able to talk about what they do, why they do it and how it interacts with their Christian understanding of reality. A follow-on question yeah. that, Bishop, are there efforts through E-Class or otherwise to encourage the teaching of a bit of science in divinity schools and the uh, teaching of a bit of theology? In the yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, the main program for that uh, comes under the heading of Science for Seminaries. Uh, that's been running in the States here for a number of years uh, under the American Academy for the Advancement of Science just down the road here uh, in Washington. 
And one of the things which intrigued me the first time I visited that as a, as a, a, a British person was, hang on, very secular science organisation, and it's, it's housing this Science for Seminaries work. And it just shows you how important the scientists think it is to get good understandings of science and also uh, and of the interaction. So that's been running in the States for a number of years. Um, the ECLAS project in the UK, we've funded, I think, 12 uh, seminaries in the UK, ecumenically, not just Church of England. And the aim is not to do it as a separate topic, science and religion, but to get it embedded in someone's study of doctrine, in their biblical studies, in their liturgical studies. For example, an obvious question is, when we worship, how many of the words that we use actually reflect something of a 21st century understanding of the nature of the universe? How do we introduce that into liturgy? When we pray, particularly intercessory prayer, how does that reflect our understanding of how God acts in the world? The imagery that's in church. I think up the road in the Washington Cathedral, there's a bit of moon rock there, isn't there? Yes. But how many churches actually have in them really good imagery that reflects the wonder of nature and the glories of science in the light of God's love? Uh, these are important things. So the idea is to get it embedded in the whole. It's not just a little science and religion elective topic. It's embedded right throughout what you do. And that's a really important thing uh, to do. Yes. Yes, please. Thanks. Um, I was interested in the uh, quote you read from the Lamb of God and wondered whether this is a repetition of similar statements in past Lamb of Conferences. And if not, what was it about the current contemporary context or mood uh, that the bishops felt it was necessary to make this call in this year? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, there have undoubtedly been many calls before. Uh, you, you can go back and you can find them. Um, and uh, Pope Francis is actually quoted in the words of the Lambeth call uh, as well. So you, you don't have to go far to find calls to say the church needs to interact. And of course, historically, many, many scientists were, were church people. Um, absolutely. Um, so the interaction has been there for a long time. I think one of the things that's going on now and perhaps has brought it to people's attention is the sheer scale of the impact and the way science has shaped our world now. We've obviously been through the pandemic and all the follow the science stuff. We're living through the hugely important issues of climate change, biodiversity, sustainability, the importance of science in that. The Archbishop, when he spoke in his first uh, plenary address at the Lambeth Conference, rattle through a number of developments which could either be very wonderful or very terrifying. Uh, so, for example, developments in warfare uh, and the use of drones and all of those sorts of things and how they can be used. So I think that was certainly exercising his mind and he's been very committed to having science as a major theme in the, science, in, in, in the Lambeth Conference. So I think all those things have, have driven... Uh, the need to have a call now. But of course, you know, it's a document, it's a few words. What really matters is getting it embedded uh, in our churches uh, uh, around the world. And that means action in places like this, uh, the programs that you follow in churches, and the way, the way it's embedded. 
And I think if that begins to happen, then not only will people grow in confidence in their faith in a scientific age, the apologetic thing, but also have a greater capacity to speak into the huge ethical issues which surround some of the developments that are going on around us. And in our conversations with leading scientists, to give an example, we had one uh, with the Crick Institute on genetics uh, at the beginning of the year. And they were very aware that the science they were developing absolutely needed the input of ethicists, legal people, theologians, religious people, if we are to shape these developments in a way which will be for the good of humankind and not lead to disastrous results. So I think there's a great awareness of these big issues and some of the major issues of the 21st century, uh, I mean, we've mentioned a couple of them, the very obvious ones like climate change, absolutely need multiple voices speaking well and properly engaging with each other in a coherent, thoughtful way. And the religious voice in that, the Christian voice in that, is absolutely crucial. And it's up to us to make that voice articulate and, and well heard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's really a comment that we did have a group on Zoom this year at St. John's, thanks to Powell Hutton and Joanne, uh, on Science and Faith, led by Tony. Uh, and we're going to be doing another one this coming year. So people who are interested, we had a lot of science people in. We had many good discussions. Uh, some of it was not easy for a person like me, you know, the concepts, but uh, we worked through it month by month. And, uh, it was well, thank, really thank you for that. Discussions. Yeah, there, there are a lot, certainly when I go to churches and open that door, there's a real appetite for it. And it's really important to take on board that the issues, if they're well explained, I think everyone can get their heads around. So it's something for everyone. It, it's, it, I think it strengthens and helps people's faith when they go into these questions. There is also, and I'll finish with this, because I know you need to finish the service at 10.30, um, there is also a real appetite for it in the wider world. One of the very striking things in the UK that's happened, there have been a number of major exhibitions uh, in cathedrals and other major churches. Uh, one of them is called the Gaia Exhibition, huge model of the earth suspended in the middle of the nave. They've had bigger visitor numbers uh, than ever. People coming in, contemplating, not particularly with religious backgrounds, it gives them space to reflect on our place in the universe and how we understand it, whether the God language has any way to speak to us. So there's a real appetite for it out there, I think, not only in churches, uh, but in the wider world. Thank you. Everyone, please join me.